It's been four weeks since the NHL season ended with former National Predators coach Barry Trotz lifting the Stanley Cup above his head. Since then, the National Predators haven't done too much, but I think that's not that much of a surprise for anyone who follows the team. I'm John Garcia, here with Adam Vingen. Welcome to another edition of Catfish Corner. How you doing, Adam? It's been a little bit. It has been a little bit. We last spoke once the Predators were eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs more than a month ago, almost a month and a half ago, um, and just sort of dissected what went wrong and what the offseason could bring. And now we're in the true offseason, free agency at its peak is over, the draft is over, the season is over. This is around the time of the year where nothing really happens. I mean, there are still things to fall if you're a Predators fan in terms of getting this roster uh, together, some contracts that need to be signed. But other than that, we're in the dog days here until training camps open in September. Yeah, this is the worst part of the summer for me, at least uh, even when I was religiously following hockey, you know, refreshing the NHL.com page every single day, there, there's nothing going on. Like, I'll turn in to, tune into uh, SiriusXM to see what they're talking about, and they're spending 20 minutes talking about nothing. There's nothing going on anymore. Well, I saw the NHL official Twitter account tweeted a link to a, a quick story that they wrote slash aggregated of, if you follow P.K. Subban on Twitter, which I'm sure most of you do if you're listening to this, he tweeted out a picture of, I, I assume, him wearing Lindsey Vaughn's swimsuit, as well as Lindsey Vaughn wearing her own swimsuit, saying, who wore it better? Yep. And that was uh, that was the hot talk of Independence Day in the National Hockey League. So when we're wondering if P.K. Subban looks better in a women's swimsuit than an Olympian like Lindsey Vaughn, who's a woman, then we're at a point where we need to find some news to talk about. Yeah. Real quick, what do you think's funnier? Them wearing... Two of the same swimsuits separately, but at the same time, or them switching into a single version of the swimsuit. I think it's funnier if they shared one swimsuit I where think, he put it on and then she put it on or something. Yeah, I think I agree with you. So the uh, we can talk about the uh, NHL free agency as a whole in a little bit, but we've got a couple of Predators things to talk about. Um, they haven't been doing too much. Uh, they didn't have very many draft picks this year in the draft. Um, that's a product of trading away a lot of those picks for players like Kyle Turris and, and Ryan, of, Hartman. Ryan Hartman, yes. things like that. Um, so they only drafted four players, and then they've been pretty quiet in free agency as well, but they haven't really needed to sign anyone because their roster is full. Well, David Poyle and Peter Laviolette both said in May that they don't expect to make wholesale changes to this roster, that they pretty much expect it to come back the same, uh, minus a few alterations, of course. Uh, all three of their unrestricted free agents are not coming back. Mike Fisher, of course, going back into retirement. Scott Hartnell, um, mulling retirement. Um, I think he would like to play. I spoke to him about a month ago. Um, he is preparing as if he's going to play again, but if he were to retire, he said he would be okay with that. He just had a, his first son oh, um, about a month and a half ago, I believe. So he's becoming a dad and, uh, and Alexi Emelin um, will not be coming back either. This lack of movement in free agency was to be expected. Not that the market was really all that fabulous to begin with. Of course, the big fish was John Tavares, who ultimately chose to leave the New York Islanders and sign with the Toronto Maple Leafs, which we'll, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. But other than that, it was sort of slim pickings. There, are, there were some intriguing players on the market. I mean, we talked about this on the last podcast, I think. You know, a player that came to mind for me as this player would fit well on this team was James Van Riemsdyk. But five years, I think $7 million per year, yeah, that's 30, too $35 much. $35 million total, however that's you want to much. break that down. Yeah, um, And he goes back to Philadelphia, Philadelphia which, where he you was know, drafted number two. He was very comfortable over yes. there. I mean, you had, uh, you know, the one interesting thing for me watching free agency 
was the fact that it took James Neal until July 2nd to sign the contract. Um, there were reports out of Las Vegas that during the season he rejected, I believe it was a five-year, $25 million contract, um, which would have given him the same cap hit as he currently, as he previously had at $5 million. I mean, I know that there were a lot of Predators fans that were clamoring to have James Neal back. He ultimately signed with the Calgary Flames, five years, $5.75 million. So he got a slight raise, not as much as people expected him to command, uh, there were talk, there was talk in the league among people who were following the story that he could he would want somewhere between six and seven million dollars. That's Which too outrageous. much for James Neal, who will be thirty one when the season started. So I remember when he signed, I asked the Twitterverse if they would have signed James Neal to that five year contract worth five point seven five per year, and I think it was seventy percent no, thirty percent yes. Then a lot of the talk was, you know, with the window that this team has, you can eat that contract for a couple of years, but you know, it's not going to look good on the tail end, probably. You know, people who are more statistically inclined than I am, even though he keeps on scoring twenty goals, things are on the decline for him in terms of his shot rates and things of that nature. So it's unlikely that he's going to continue to score that much over the course of the contract. Um, but if the Predators weren't willing to hold on to him in his in his free agent year last year at $5 million, why would they go out and sign him a year older for 5.75? Right. Uh, so I never quite understood the desire to have him back. Well, I think it's one of those things, you know, you're familiar with. You know that he's at least going to get you 20 goals. You know, he's not a 40-goal scorer anymore. He's barely a 30-goal scorer anymore. And Um, he's injury-prone in some respects. Exactly. He usually misses like 10 to 15 games a year. Sure, but if you're wanting to slot him in at the second or third line, I I can see the appeal on that. Um, The cap hit that he has right now I don't think is bad. I think that's fair for his value. It's just the term on that. Now we have seen, and uh, I've seen some other people talking about this before about how general managers now are pretty, can get out of pretty long-term contracts. I mean, we've seen the Clarkson deal move. We've seen the Horton deal move. We've seen, you know, Hosa got lucky because he got some rare skin infection and now can't play anymore. Datsuk, whose yeah. contract was traded to the Coyotes, I think. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then uh, just even uh, look Bolin at this. Too. Stanley Cup champion Washington Capitals, they got out of Brooks Likes contract and Brooks Orpik's contract. And I remember people saying that Brooks Orpik's contract was going to be an albatross in the last two or three years, maybe. Yeah, he was quite good in the Stanley Cup playoffs. He was. You never know. So I think that it looks like there are a lot of GMs that are signing for terms so that they can get the good value now and then kind of be, well, that's future GM's problem or that's we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And so far, most of them have been seeming to get out of those bad contracts. So, But I agree with you. I, I never really saw the appeal in bringing James Neal back and knowing what type of talent the Predators have on their roster right now. Right. And you have to hope, of course, that Kevin Fiala continues to grow and score 20 plus goals last year. And that becomes the norm. Craig Smith went back up to 20 goals, which he regularly scores after a down year two years ago. Um, You hope that that maintains. I know that there's a lot of concern for lack of a better term among Predators fans by the second line, um, which of course is Kevin Fiala, Kyle Turris and Craig Smith, because they were no shows as a line in the playoffs. But they were one of the best lines in the NHL during the regular season by goal differential, by shot attempt differential, by scoring chance differential. So it is easy to look at the playoffs and think there's a problem. It's a smaller sample size, though. And that isn't to say that that line still can't improve, but you know it was a down playoff year. See what happens at the start this year. If they get back to their scoring ways in the regular season, maybe there's less uh, less worry. But if they 
take that playoff performance or lack thereof into the regular season, then maybe you can be a little worried. But I don't think that one one playoff year, 13 games should you know, scare people necessarily. You could be upset about it because that was a large reason why they lost in the playoffs. But I don't think that this team needs to completely reconstruct its second line just because of it. But if it does continue into the into the regular season next year, maybe you can be a little worried. Yeah, and we've seen Peter Laviolette does like to experiment and kind of move people around just to get some get some different looks on there. And uh, he is no uh, stranger to changing up lines if something isn't working. Sometimes he changes up lines even if things are working. We saw that a lot last year. So looking at the free agents that, um, well, did you want to talk about any of the kids that the Preds drafted this year? I know they didn't have anything to like the, what was it, the fourth round, I think was their first They didn't first have pick. a pick until the fourth round because they traded their third round pick to the Florida Panthers but I remember saying this to someone recently when they asked me for my opinion on the Predators draft now I I I was honest and I said I can't really give you an opinion on their draft because we're going to switch sports here for a second I'm a big college basketball fan Mm -hmm. so the NBA draft which was the night before the NHL draft I will actually sit down and watch (laughs) the NBA draft because I know these players sure no of course there are some that played overseas that I'm not familiar with, but you hear them being talked about all the time and you see the highlights on SportsCenter and things like that. But in terms of the top picks and, and even in the and even into the second round, I was familiar with a lot of these players because I am a consumer of college basketball. Unless your job is to attract prospects in the NHL, NHL draft prospects, excuse me, you don't really have a good grip on who these players are unless they're the ones at the top, like Rasmus Dahlin, who went number one overall to the Buffalo Sabres. Um, You know, you see highlights of him all the time on TSN or Sportsnet, and then you get to learn about him. But other than that, like once those top picks go, you don't really know who these guys are. So I can't honestly give you a scouting report on any of the players they picked because I'm not really familiar with them. I had never seen them live until at development camp. And even then, it's kind of hard to judge. Yeah. um, and I'm glad that you gave me that answer, too, because, I mean, no one wants to, you know, bullcrap their way through like, well, I think that this guy is a good skater or that. I mean, truth be told, in the NHL draft, there is, you know, that you should at least get a home run or at least a extra base hit uh, on your first round pick. And then I would even say during the second round, that's where you're looking for like another good player. Anything after that is essentially gravy. And you're hoping that whatever the scout saw in the player that you're getting Uh, was good because most of those players don't even sniff the NHL. Now, we've seen the Predators hit on good players in later rounds before. Victor Arvidsson immediately comes to mind. But how many of their fourth-round draft picks in the past couple years have played in the NHL? How many of their sixth-round draft picks have played in the NHL? It happens, but it's not as much as maybe their first round, their second-round picks. I mean, you look at Shea Weber, Roman Yossi, Craig Smith, I think was the third-round pick. Third or fourth. Yeah. um, Matias Ekholm, I think, was the fourth-round pick as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it happens, but you essentially what you're doing is you're looking to draft really well in the first and second round. And after that, you're hoping that you take the best available player or someone that can maybe possibly get to the NHL. And if they do, I think that you've struck gold on that. Yeah. And I think it, I think Joe Rex wrote in a column he wrote you know, leading into the draft said it was the first time in Predators history that they entered a draft without a first or second round pick. So. Now they they knew going into it that they're that they were going to be pretty quiet and they were. I mean the draft itself was fairly quiet. I mean not a lot of huge moves, um, a couple, um, but nothing particularly big. We we the draft has sort of become the epicenter of all of these big moves. Um, it's no longer the trade deadline. It's it's the draft, um, and some have since come. 
um, Ryan O'Reilly being traded to the St. Louis Blues, which is huge for the Central Division, I right? Think. Um, and you know the Mike Hoffman uh, situation being oh, traded from Ottawa to San Jose, and then San Jose getting a better return from Florida. That, you know, so there have been some moves. You know, Max Domi for Alex Galchenyuk. So there have been some. Which again, what is Montreal doing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand Mark Bergevin and what he's doing. Right. That that's a that's a completely different podcast. Yeah. Um, but when you look at free agency for the Predators as well, the basis of it has been signing. You know, AHL veterans, Rocco Grimaldi, Jared Tenorti, Connor Brickley. Of course, the one that has stuck out the most and the one that has angered Predators fans the most was the signing announced Monday of Zach Ronaldo to a uh, one-year, two-way contract. Now, I didn't get up in arms about it necessarily because I don't expect Zach Ronaldo to make have any effect or any impact on the Predators' main roster. Maybe he shouldn't sniff the NHL no, this year at he, all. No, he shouldn't. If he does, uh, something is horribly, horribly <laughs> wrong. Yes, uh, but of course, those who may be unfamiliar with Zach Ronaldo's resume, he's been fined twice and suspended five times. Um, for a total of 25 games by the NHL. He was, and he's only played about 300 in his NHL career. I believe he has almost as many career games missed due to suspension as he does career points. I think it's maybe 25 to 34 or something like that. Um, he was once suspended by the NHL and the AHL at the same time while in the Boston organization. So, you know, he has familiarity with Peter LaViolette. Um, so that comes in handy. He debuted for Peter while he played for, while he was the coach of the Philadelphia Flyers. But you know, Zach Ronaldo, you know, in my opinion, brings little to nothing to an NHL team. You know, it doesn't help help his team in any fashion. He brings little to nothing to an AHL team. Let's be quite <laughs> honest here. Well, I think um, I think Patrick Williams, uh, he used to work for NHL.com and now is sort of an AHL expert, mentioned that Zach Ronaldo's um, AHL salary was $300,000, I believe. And he tweeted recently that his that Ronaldo's career high in goals, I think at any level, is five. And he's making three hundred thousand dollars in the AHL, which is a contract for like a you know a successful you know, perennial yeah. AHL all star you yeah. know whatever. So you know, it, I understand those who are upset about it. Um, it. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but you know, it's not. It shouldn't impact the Predators roster. So I'm not sure it's a move that will really you know. I'm not. I'm not sure it's a move that will you know, keep people upset for a long time. Yeah. And I agree with that. I just think that the optics on it aren't very good, especially, and I'm sorry, we have to at least mention this when one of your fourth line players and fan favorites in Austin Watson gets arrested for a domestic violence incident earlier in the summer. And you, so you have that going on, which I'm sure that the predators aren't going to say anything more about already than what they have, which is just essentially we're aware of the situation. Um, His court date was pushed back until the end of July. Right. So we won't know anything for a little bit, and I'm sure that they're not going to say anything anymore about it. But then you sign Zach Ronaldo, who makes a career out of essentially injuring players and not playing by the rules that the, uh, that the league has in place, and said that after he hit Chris Letang and concussed him, said, oh, that hit changed the game. I did that, and you know I was making a statement, all that stuff. You concussed a player on a horrible hit that you eventually, I believe he got suspended for that hit. As and I well. think he even said during the interview that he knew that he was probably going to be suspended. Yeah. For so, it. You so he's, know has, he's at least he has self-awareness. Rules. Yeah. You know that you're breaking the rules. So I, I think the optics are bad. And yes, I agree with you. It should not have any effect on the actual predators roster. And yeah, I mean, just, it just kind of, I don't know. It's, it's not great. And I don't, I don't know why you would even look at Zach Ronaldo at this point in time, because you know that he does not bring anything to your club or to your minor league club. Well, I guess the next question is, 
talking about how the Predators were fairly quiet otherwise in free agency, not doing anything to add to their main roster. Now you look around the rest of the Central Division, you know, not very many teams, not very many of their closest rivals did much either. We'd mentioned the St. Louis Blues who did the most. They traded mm-hmm. for Ryan O'Reilly. They signed Tyler Bozak. They repatriated David Perron for the fourth, fifth, sixth time. Um, he was, of course, uh, left unprotected by the Blues in the expansion draft, had a career year in Vegas, and then went back to St. Louis. Um, he also did nothing in the playoffs. He had either. one goal in the playoffs. I think it went off his butt. Um, but, you know, that that team is made the most drastic change, and, you know, they have great center depth now, assuming Braden Shen is your second, your, excuse me, your first-line center. O'Reilly is your second, and Bozak's your third. That's pretty good depth down the middle for the St. Louis Blues, who always seem on the cusp of doing something, and they always fall just short. Or, sure. you know, last year, of course, losing in Game 82 to the Colorado Avalanche. That game decided the Predators' opponent. If the Blues would have won, St. Louis would have been their first-round opponent. But if you look around the rest of the Central Division, not very many teams did that much. I mean, we can start at the top, of course. We talked about Nashville, Winnipeg, lost Paul Stastny. Yeah, and they, they went, cleared salary space they went to out try of and their way. Him. Exactly. They went out of their way to clear salary space with a trade with Montreal, that with Joel Armia and Steve Mason going the other way. Uh, and Paul Stastny ultimately decided to sign with Vegas, three years, $6.5 million per which you wonder, even though Winnipeg was the second best team in the league last year and is a team on the rise, it doesn't li- doesn't help the reputation that players don't want to play in Winnipeg. Even if even though Stasny had 15 points in 17 playoff games and was a was a major factor in the Jets' win against the Predators in the second round. Sure, um, but I wonder if that is kind of like I, like I wouldn't want to live in Winnipeg personally. I spent um, a lot of time there, and with respect to my. Winnipeggers that I know and adore, I wouldn't want to live there either. Yeah, you know, maybe a visit for a little bit. But, I mean, the teams take that chance when they trade for a UFA at the trade deadline anyway. Like, whenever you, you do that, there's always a chance for that person to go elsewhere because they're either going to pay them more money or they want the change of scenery or whatever it is. So there is always that chance. I still think that Winnipeg is going to be good this year. Yeah, they're still quite good. And um, they have a lot of restricted free agents assigned. Uh, primarily, Connor Hellebuck and Jacob Truba are both do new contracts, and they should be pretty big. Yeah. And uh, but so they're still going to be good. But, you know, Stastny really did help them throughout all of the playoffs. And, you know, Joe Rexrode, our, uh, our our colleague, was saying how he thought that that was the best trade at the trade deadline. And, I would agree. And would have said that at, um, you know, had the Winnipeg Jets gone on to win the Stanley Cup for sure. Right. When, um, yeah. You, yeah. When you look at the rest of the Central Division, you know, the Minnesota Wild now at the, you know, now with Paul Fenton, former Predators assistant GM at the helm. You know, kind of cleaned up around the edges. You know, he you know he uh, signed um, two of uh, Bruce Boudreaux's fav- favorite foot soldiers from Washington, Eric Fair and Matt Hendricks. It was fourth line grinders. Yeah, J.T. Brown and uh, Greg Pattern. Um, they lost Matt Cullen, who's forty two years old. Went back to Pittsburgh for like the fifteenth time. Yes, like he and he and David Perron are must be talking with yes, each other. So. Uh, you know, not a lot of moves there either, but they have apparently, you know, reportedly have some of their, you know, bigger name players, Charlie Coyle, Nino Niederreiter on the trade block. You know, that team's good. They've been a 100 point team each of the past two years, but they've also been balanced in five games in the first round in each of the past two years. So they're a good team, yeah. but not when it matters. Well, especially, uh, you know, uh, I slept on Eric Stahl when he signed with he the Wild great. for sure. I mean, does he have another 40 goal season Probably in him? Probably not. I, I, I doubt it. I mean, I thought he was done when he got traded to the Rangers and I, that is the biggest crow that I will eat. (laughs) Um, probably since I've uh, started like covering and watching hockey, 
they might be one of those uh, wild card bubble teams, I think. Uh, an interesting team, I think, uh, if you don't mind me taking this sure. on, is the Dallas Stars, yes. who, as of right now, when we record this, uh, seem to be the reported frontrunner for a trade of Eric Carlson, right. which would completely change the Central Division, in my opinion. Right. When you look at what the other moves they did, not a whole lot there. I thought they made an under-the-radar good move by signing Anton Kudobin. Um, who was the backup in Boston last year, Kari Letton, and finally off the books. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because if they are to make that trade, I believe they will have four former senators on their roster. Eric Carlson, Mark Mathot, who was Carlson's partner two years ago, um, Ben Bishop, and Jason Spezza. So playing the long game there with the former Sens uh, in Dallas. They but, just need to get Alfredson uh, coaching right. and they're set. But, you know, adding him to a group with Klingberg on the back end and, and re, you know, repairing him with Mathot, which was a great pair for the Senators when they almost made it to the Stanley Cup final and played the Predators in the Stanley Cup final. You know, having, of course, Sagan and Ben and Radulov up front. I mean, that that's a good team, but... I feel like Dallas is always they, they're sort of hit or miss. They either have a great offensive season and they're really good and they win the central or they, you know, they crap out like they did last year down the stretch. Um, but that is interesting. I think when you look at the moves that have been made, another team that's interesting to me is the Colorado Avalanche. Sure. You know, getting Matt Calvert from Columbus and Ian Cole from uh, from also from Columbus, he mm-hmm. was in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, are good two are two good veteran moves. The one that's the most interesting is they traded for Philip Grubauer, who's a great goaltender, which is who is a great goaltender, and of course a other another former Capitals goaltender, Semyon Varlamov, has been the longtime starter in Colorado, but can't stay healthy. Um, it looks like they may split the load, but knowing Varlamov's history, he's probably going to get hurt at some point and Grubauer will have a chance to take, uh, take the reins and, you know, goaltending, you know, was sort of, you know, was sort of iffy for the avalanche last year. And just in terms of it was in flux, you know, Jonathan Bernier did a great job in the regular season and he started the playoffs against the predators. He got hurt. Andrew Hammond came in, had one great game in Nashville, then, you know, was not great in the uh, series deciding game, game six. You know, I think that Grubauer move is also good. And then speaking of goaltending, you go to Chicago. Uh, they signed Chris Kunitz. They signed cool. Cam Ward, um, who has been really bad for a long time. I mean, you know, when you played for Carolina for as long as he did, of course, winning a Stanley Cup there as this rookie phenom in 2006 under Peter Laviolette. Yeah, he's still living in the yeah, shadow he's of that not, performance. He hasn't been great in a while. So while Cam Ward is a better plan B for the Blackhawks if Corey Crawford isn't ready than Anton Forsberg was last year or Jeff Glass, um, you know, he's still not that great. Yeah. So you better hope if you're the Blackhawks, who really didn't do much of anything else, you better hope that Crawford's ready to go because, you know, you can link their demise last season to Crawford being hurt. Um, and Ward isn't really going to probably do much to help that if Crawford isn't ready to go. Yeah, and Jonathan Taves is playing just kind of like a above average hockey player, not necessarily a 100 greatest NHL players. That's I mean, You mentioned on a podcast during the end of the season how the Blackhawks were one of the central division teams on the decline, and it doesn't look like they've really done much to kind of uh, stop that yet, barring another crazy season by Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taves, Brandon Todd, one of those top guys, and any of their rookies taking a gigantic step forward, but it they just didn't look like a cohesive team at the end of last year, and I don't know if that's really going to change that much coming into this year. I think the only team right now in the Central Division, I think well, there are two teams, I think. There are two teams in the Central Division I feel like now that free agency is over have improved the St. Louis Blues, and the Colorado Avalanche. Um, I think the others have either stayed neutral or have declined. Um, I think the Predators stayed neutral because they didn't do much. 
I don't see the moves in Minnesota or or the moves in Dallas really moving the needle. Winnipeg maybe goes down Winnipeg a little maybe bit, a little just bit because but, of Stastny. But they're probably neutral as well. And then Chicago, I feel like, as you mentioned, didn't do anything to make themselves better. You just hope that all these players that they've counted on for so many years find their way again and the Blackhawks are the Blackhawks again. But you know, I wouldn't put my money on that. But now now we can look at free agency as a whole. I guess you know the big the big story, of course, was Tavares watch. Um, and he signed, he, he, what's interesting is that, you know, and you see this in the NBA and the NFL all the time, when these big stars become free agents, they're always on the move. Look at the NBA offseason. look at LeBron James. When an, when a NBA free agent, you know, a superstar is, he very rarely stays with the team that he's currently with. And I feel like in the NFL, it's similar and the NHL very rarely do those stars move. Now, of course, a couple of years ago, Steven Stamkos had the same process as John Tavares and, and courted t- teams courted him and they pitched to him and he ultimately stayed in Tampa. Um, I think with Tavares leaving, I think I saw a, a, a statistic on one of the Canadian networks that said there was like the, le- like the last big free agent to leave was when Zdeno Chara left Ottawa to go to Boston. And yeah, that was more Scott than 10- ne- Scott Niedermeyer yeah, right before that. That was like more than – both of those were more than 10 years ago. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a surprise, I think, to see John Tavares leave. We all thought it was a formality that – he would stay, especially when they hired Barry Trotz. And got Lou Lamorello. They got Lou Lamorello. They had a good draft. They were playing more games in Nassau Coliseum. It seemed like everything was there. But when that when Saturday came, the day before free agency, if John Tavares wanted an eight-year deal, he had to resign by Saturday, the day before free agency. Otherwise, it was going to go to seven. When there was no news that he had signed by Saturday night, you knew it was over. Sure. Um, he wasn't going to resign for seven years with the Islanders when he could have resigned for eight. So, you know, it would have been interesting to see if like I, I, from everyone that, you know, who is following this very closely, it seemed like the front runners were uh, the Toronto number one because it was the, you know, the appeal of the hometown plus how good that team is uh, and the San Jose Sharks. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, the Maple Leafs are built to win for years while the Sharks are more built to win now. Sure. But I would thought it had been interesting to see. Tavares on a team with Logan Couture and Brenton Burns and Joe Pavelski and um, Evander Kane and Martin Jones and Mark Edward Vlasic like that to me they would have become the immediate front runner in the West yeah and they would have been incredibly fun to watch yes but like how many years of that do they have because a lot of those players are getting up in years you know the the Maple Leafs are going to have some cap issues maybe but you know you have Austin Matthews still on entry level deal deal and Mitch Marner and William Nylander yeah, RFA. when you have Tavares and Matthews as your one-two center punch, and then you, can't, yeah, three. you can't beat that. No. Uh, you're, so you were mentioning about how free agents don't usually move in the NHL that often. I wonder if part of that is because of the way that RFA deals are structured, how it takes players so long to reach UFA status. Yeah. So most of the time they're traded before then, or they just, you know, they've been with a team for so long that they're like, all right, I'm comfortable here. I don't want to go. But you also look at where a lot of these superstars are are and sometimes especially when it's a player like John Tavares who is you know a perennial heart trophy candidate for the most part you look and you say okay these teams are built to win maybe they're not you know the front runners to win in a Stanley Cup but they at least have a chance to do that every year and you look at the Islanders and 
not so much right now, at least. I mean, I could have seen it. Like, I don't know if he would have wanted to take just like a one year or two year deal to see what Lou Lamarilla and Barry Trotz did because their goaltending is still very suspect and they do not have a back end to speak of pretty much, especially with Calvin DeHaan going to sign in Carolina. They have almost no defense whatsoever. So I'm wondering if that I'm sure played a huge part in it. And I don't know if there have been a lot of free agents recently who have that whose teams that they're uh, about ready to resign with meet that criteria I mean you look at Stamkos and they still had plenty of great players and good goaltending and we're going to be a Stanley Cup uh, contender maybe even possibly without him um, and the case is not the same with the New York Islanders no they're going to be bad next year when you look at that roster it's Matthew Barzell's team now they just signed Robin Lehner you know to go with Thomas Grice which and that was like a one-year yeah, deal not I think. a great goaltending tandem but no you know, then they had to like sort of patch up the holes. They had to sign Leo Kamara from the Maple Leafs for four years, and you know, it's not—they're not, not going to be good. It's they gonna, traded for Matt Martin again. Yeah, like, they, what are you guys doing? Right, best fourth line in hockey with Casey Sezikis and Cal Clutterbuck. Well, I, back I can't together. wait until uh, Barry Trotz plays Cal Clutterbuck on the first line and puts Matthew Barzell on the fourth line. Well, somebody somebody tweeted the other day. Um, I can't recall, you know, saying, what do you think Barry Trotz is thinking while, you know, this team is trading, you know, is just like accumulating all of these like bottom six grinders. And I think it was our friend Christopher Martel that says, oh, the good old days, you know, because that's what he was used to <laughs> yeah. here in Nashville. Hey, so Hey, he won a cup and he got paid. Right, so, I mean, so, like he's got some security for a little bit. Well, I think we what we should touch on before we wrap up, of course, is the big news that's left over for the Predators and their top offseason priority is re-signing Ryan Ellis. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet. He was eligible on Sunday, July 1st to resign. He hadn't. There are three players who were also eligible who did. Drew Doughty, Oliver ekman Larson, and Ryan McDonough. And I'm working on a story now. We're recording this on Thursday. That should be up later today, Thursday. Sort of looking at comparables and finding what the best possible contract would be for Ryan Ellis. Um, you know, one thing you have to consider is that you know, I think Ryan, I mean, Ryan Ellis wants to stay in Nashville. I mean, that's, I don't get the Ryan Suter vibe from Ryan Ellis, even though I wasn't here for Suter, but talking to people who were, I don't get that vibe from Ellis. But you have to keep in mind that those three defensemen I just named were off the market now. So mm-hmm. and if Eric Carlson, who's also a UFA next year, gets traded, he's also, he's going to probably sign the long-term contract. It's very possible that Ryan Ellis might be the best available defenseman in free agency next summer which I don't think will entice him to go to market. But if you're his agent, you're going to want to push him to do that a little bit. Or you're going to say, you know, this, he's going to command this much money on the open market if he were to get there. Sure. So let's, let's find a way to work on it now. Yeah. The question that, you know, the the thing that I can sense some, I can sense some concern among the Predators fan base that it isn't done yet. I wouldn't be to that point yet. In my personal opinion, if he is not re-signed by training camp, if he shows up back in Nashville in mid-September and he does not have a contract extension, then you can start to worry. I don't think you need to trade him immediately, but I think that should become an option. I don't sure. think that's an option for David Poyle right now, but if he is not signed to, a, to an extension by training camp, that's at least something that he should look at. You don't have to trade him in September and October, but if you get to December or January and it's still not, then you should probably do something about it because after what happened with Ryan Suter, I can't imagine a situation where David Poyle will let a player like Ryan Ellis, who would fetch a good amount on the, on the, in a trade, let him go for nothing. Um, and you can even look at Tavares for that. Obviously, you know, Ryan Ellis is not like that kind of caliber, you know, first line center, superstar, uh, franchise player, but I mean, come on, 
if the like I, I was reading some uh, uh, recaps of Islanders fans and they were like, OK, you know, it's it's no big deal that he didn't sign his extension on July 1st. It's no big deal that he didn't sign his extension before the season. OK, he didn't sign before the trade deadline. I guess that's a good indication that the Islanders are going to keep, you know, it's just, you know, fool me once type of thing. Um, so I, I agree with you 100 percent on that. Yeah, I you know, I look at these contracts out there and really when you look at some of the comparables, you know, the one that stands out the most to me is Ryan McDonough was an eight year contract worth $6.75 million a year and a contract that was signed last summer, Cam Fowler, who signed to a, uh, it was an eight years, six and a half, I believe. I really do think that the best value for Ryan Nelson, of course, it depends on the term. Sure. But the annual average value, I think, should be somewhere between six and a half and seven. Um, you wonder which, which I think is fair, especially, um, and we were talking about this before we started recording, but there's kind of a little bit of hand-wringing over, you know, paying uh, defensemen and players a little bit more money now. It's like, oh, uh, you know, this person is a, uh, you know, a $7 million player. They gave him that much money. When you look at someone who signed a couple years ago, they got $6 million. Well, with a cap ceiling creeping up ever so much, I think it's important to look at percentage of cap hit now more so than the actual dollars because those fluctuate a little bit more and you can't really necessarily say, well, this person who signed in 2014 got less money than this person who signed in 2018. Right. I mean, that is that is a good point. So it's not just about the money itself. But, you know, you look at some of these players, you know, one of the one of the closest comparables to Ryan Ellis, if you base off a seven million dollar AAV is uh, Chris Letang, who Mm -hmm. signed in 2013 for, I think, seven point two five. You know, Ryan Ellis is not Chris Letang. Chris Letang that year, the lockout year, led the def- led defenseman in scoring. You know, he was the number one defenseman on a team that was you know regular well, had won and was regularly challenging for Stanley Cups and hadn't won the two in a row yet. But and he was out for one of those. But he's not that he's not worth that much. I mean, I, I really think that the and I really do think that the hard line for Ryan Ellis at the most should be seven. Sure, um, and that's if the term is low. Mm-hmm. I think the higher the term goes, the lower it should be. Of course. You know, I think a 6.5, 6.75, I think that's reasonable for Ryan Ellis. Um, but we'll see what happens there. Yeah, so basically uh, start to get a little bit worried, Preds fans, if he's not signed by training camp, and then start to panic if he's certainly not signed by the trade deadline. Right. I think with how this team is saying this is our number one priority and has been saying it for months, if, he, if you have the entire summer to sign a contract extension and you don't, mm-hmm. then I think you have a problem. Not to say that Ryan Ellis shouldn't be on the opening night roster. He should be somewhere else. You know, I th- yeah, and I, I also wonder with you know it, it being the summer, not a lot going on right now, especially as we get into July and August. If Ryan Ellis knows in his heart of hearts that he's going to resign in Nashville, then maybe he thinks you know what, there's no hurry to get this done. Let's you know go over everything as much as we want and make sure that this is really done right because I want this to be done right. Um, and then you know they sign in August or something like that. Maybe that's what he and his agent are thinking. I don't know. Right. I mean that could be the case. Um, you know, I last checked in with his agent after the draft. And they said they had productive conversations, he and David Poyle, but they're not there yet. And um, they might take some time to like step back from it for a little bit. But, you know, I still expect it to get done. It's just a matter of when. So we will maybe be back if Ryan Ellis decides that he wants to uh, ink a long-term contract uh, before the end of the summer. Otherwise... 
there's not really much going on and not much to talk about, although I could talk about, you know, John Tavares and Zach Ronaldo and all these other things for days and days and days. Adam, it was great to see you again. Um, enjoy the rest of your summer. I'm sure we'll be back around training camp, starting yeah, time, maybe. I, yeah, unless something major happens, you know, in the next couple of months, we'll reconvene in September as training camp starts. We'll do some previews and look at the team as is and, and see what they can do and, you know, talk about some individual players. But yeah, they're really, you know, the Predators, you know, they need to re-sign UC Soros. They need to re-sign Ryan Hartman. They need to re-sign Mika Salamaki. They need to re-sign Ryan Ellis. But other than that, you know, it shouldn't be too difficult. Soros and Hartman don't have arbitration rights. Salamaki does, but, you know, can't expect that to be a particularly contentious arbitration hearing if it gets to that. Sure. Salamaki... You know, you know what you're going to get with him. You know what you're going to get with yeah. him. But yeah, I mean, it should be a fairly quiet summer. And uh, we will talk again uh, when it turns to fall and it's not 110 degrees outside. Yeah. And uh, essentially, I can give you my preview of the Predators uh, season right now. It doesn't matter what happens in the regular season. It's all about the playoffs. Yes, oh, that's going to be fun. Playoff. All right. Well, you can follow Adam at Adam Vingen on Twitter. You can follow me at Garcia 36 Thank you, guys. We'll see you next time.